so I have a joke. I have an actual honest-to-goodness joke to begin my message today. I'm like, I know some preachers do this. Um, so there's a story about a, a preacher who died and went to heaven. And um, uh, when he got there, he's, he's waiting at the pearly gates, waiting to get in. And there's a, a couple of people there, and he strikes up conversations with one of them and finds out the other person's a bus driver. And so uh, they have a little conversation. And then Peter, St. Peter comes up and says, uh, uh, Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith. And uh, the bus driver says, that's me. And he says, okay, well, come in. I want to show you your heavenly home. So he leads Mr. Smith, the bus driver, through the, uh, through the pearly gates and uh, shows him a mansion. Uh, we're talking, you know, royal heads of Europe type mansion, okay? Uh, tennis courts, swimming pools, you know, uh, 38 rooms, you know, Donald Trump, you know, the whole deal, right? So, so the, uh, the preacher is still back at the pearly gates and he's looking at that going, pretty good. I knew heaven was going to be nice. I had no idea how nice, right? So he, he's, he's waiting there and the, uh, St. Peter finishes bringing in the, the, the bus driver and, uh, he comes back to the, the pearly gates and says, okay, uh, uh, Pastor Jones. And, and, uh, the preacher says, that's me. And he says, okay, well, come this way. I want to show you your heavenly home. And so he takes him over to a one-room hut. <laughs> and, and the preacher says, uh, well, wait, it, it, this, is, this is my heavenly home? And St. Peter says, yep, that's it. And he says, now, wait a minute. There's something, there's got to be some kind of mistake because, because I saw the bus driver. He got that big mansion. And now I'm in this hovel. Are you kidding me? And St. Peter says, but you don't understand, sir. See, when you preached, people slept. <laughs> but when he drove, people prayed. <laughs> so, um, an honest, I'll do this more often. <laughs> So, uh, so, so we're going to wrap up this series on margin. We've been talking about margin. Margin is a good thing. Margin is the space around. It's like the the white part of the page with no words on it. It's like the gap between cars on a highway. And uh, margin is a good thing for the same reason a gap between cars is. Because sometimes accidents happen. Sometimes life intervenes. And if you've got a cushion, if you've got some wiggle room, if you've got if you've got a buffer zone then you're able to recover more gracefully than if you don't have any margin in your life. So we've been looking at margin in a whole bunch of areas. We've been looking at it in the area of finances, and we saw that that not only is it good to have some financial margin for yourself, but last week we saw margin is also the place where you're able to be generous to other people. If you don't have any margin in your own finances, then you just can't give anything to people who might need it. So, So margin in the area of finances is good. Margin in the area of time is good. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. And uh, today I'm going to wrap it up by just saying margin's a good thing in general. And I could, I could pick any number of, of areas. I could talk about emotional margin. Some of us are so angry or so stressed or so anxious that we have no emotional margin. And the slightest thing will set us off because we lack margin. So um, maybe, maybe I could have preached today about emotional margin. Um, maybe I could talk about some other kind of physical margin. Sleep, I would say, is a physical margin. That's what I'm going to talk about today. But I might be able to talk about other types of physical margin. Um, are we are we eating right? Are we getting enough exercise? There's there's places where where our physical health 
is impacted um, because we don't have enough margin in those areas of our life. And if any of those appeals to you more than sleep, um, you know, by all means, let me encourage you. Uh, as I've shared before, I've been stealing most of my sermons from this book called um, Margins by uh, Dr. Richard Swinson. It's a, it's a, a Christian uh, author writing from a perspective of faith and medicine. So um, if, if sleep is not your problem, um, then uh, by all means, uh, take a look at that, that book and see if there's help in other areas where you might feel more uh, drawn. But I do want to talk about sleep. Um, I want to talk about sleep um, for a couple of reasons. The first one is that, is that as you can tell, um, Jesus slept. Um, you know that that's true because I put it on the bulletin. We just heard the reading. Um, Jesus slept. And I could have talked about Jesus ate right, but honestly, there's not a lot of biblical evidence for that. Whenever we see Jesus eating in the Bible, he's usually at a party. And he got a reputation, his, his enemies at least, said he was a glutton. So I'm not going to try and tell you from Jesus' life how to eat right. There, there may, he may have been a good eater, but uh, we don't see that in the Bible. We do see Jesus sleeping. So I'll be talking about Jesus sleeping. Uh, but the other reason is because, is because of that joke. It, it's a funny joke, and we all like to see pastors wind up in hovels. But... But um, <laughs> for eternity. Um, but but the problem with that joke is it assumes that God wants you to be praying more than He wants you to be sleeping. And I don't think that the Scripture bears that out. I think God knows. Uh, certainly, Jesus knows what it's like to be a human. He knows what it's like to be sleepy. And I don't see any evidence that God thinks praying is somehow better than the gift he gave us, which is the gift of sleep. So I want to talk about um, sleeping. The, 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 the fact is, sleep is important. Um, uh, there's a true story about a real bus driver. In 1995, there was a bus driver in Spain uh, taking a bus full of tourists from here to there, and he fell asleep at the wheel, and he caused an accident. 22 people died. 32 people were injured. So... Uh, that's, that's, that's how important sleep is. If people aren't um, getting enough rest, then they can have a very serious uh, impact on people around them. And I'm not saying that to judge that bus driver. I did the exact same thing a year ago as part of the process of moving up here. Um, I got on the highway with my wife and my kids um, in a car, and I wasn't ready to drive. It, I was too sleepy. Uh, we had been up uh, all night, actually, trying to get the last things into the moving van. We needed to get the car to where the car was going to be picked up. And there was about 100 miles of driving, and we had just run out of time. And I hadn't been in the car 10 minutes before. I said, this is not going to work. And so we swapped out, and we took breaks, and we did as as much as you can to turn something that's dangerous into something that's just stupid. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> so uh, we survived because God sometimes smiles on fools, but um, but it was it was a dumb thing to do. And I know I'm not alone. Um, uh, I saw a statistic in the United Kingdom: uh, 10% of car fatalities and 50% of truck fatalities uh, are related to sleeping. In the United States, 22% of adults report at any given time that. They are sleepy enough that it interferes with their work. Okay, whatever it is they're doing, you know, driving a bus or whatever, um, that they're sleepy enough that it's interfering, not necessarily preventing, but interfering with their work. 
There is something called the National Commission on Sleep Deprivation, and it says 70 million Americans suffer from sleep deprivation. Uh, James Gleick, he's a, he's a writer, he said he doesn't think it's that low. He says the mere presence of an alarm clock in a bedroom is an indicator that there's probably sleep deprivation. And he says, and who doesn't have an alarm clock? Right? We've all got alarm clocks. William Dimmitt, he's the psychologist who, who first uh, described REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, the, the sleep that's associated with the dream state. Um, William Dimmitt says that our society is sleep sick. And we could describe the sleep, the, the lack of sleep, people who suffer from sleep deprivation as suffering from an invisible killer. And it is an invisible killer, not just because uh, it doesn't leave tracks uh, when a bus driver goes over a cliff, but also because there's no sign of it. Back in the 1950s, before there were protest groups, some some researchers did an incredibly cruel experiment. They just said, how long can a rat go without sleep? And so they set up a little piece of apparatus where every time the rat, they had little electrodes in its head, every time the rat fell asleep, it would dump him into a little pan of water, and that would wake him up. Then he'd climb out, and then when he started getting sleepy again, they'd do it again, over and over again, and none of them lasted more than three weeks. They died. Rats died from lack of sleep. And when they did their, you know, this is science, it's not just cruelty. It is cruelty, but it's uh, not just cruelty. Uh, they dissected them and looked through them and tried to figure out what did they die of. And they couldn't figure out what it was. There was nothing wrong with them physically that they could detect. They're, they didn't have ulcers. Their brains were normal. As far as they could tell, everything was right about those rats. The only physical sign that they showed, in fact, was their fur looked kind of sketchy. So something kind of just made them die. It's an invisible killer. Now, William Dimmitt, the rim sleep guy, he, um, he, he wasn't able to kill people. So, 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 um, pesky laws. Um, but, uh, he did something else. He did, he, he got volunteers to, to engage in a study of what happens if you don't have rim sleep. And he had to discontinue it after five days because he found out you can't keep people from going into a dream state after five days. So what they would do is they'd, they'd, they'd shout at them, and as soon as they quit shouting, they'd fall back asleep instantaneously. And that's what happens to bus drivers and, and uh, people in car accidents. Uh, the reality is when you have been deprived of sleep long enough, the pressure in your body, wherever it is and whatever it is, will make you fall asleep. So it is an important thing that we get enough sleep, and yet we don't. So what's the solution? We don't get enough sleep. Well, you came to the right place because the answer, as so many answers are, is in the Bible. And the answer is to sleep. So I'm going to look at this passage here from Mark. It says, On that day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. So um, I look out every Sunday and you're smiling faces, and I know not everybody is always able to stay 100% alert during a message. Now, <laughs> here's, here's what you don't realize. You're not the only ones that our sermons put to sleep. I was having a conversation a couple of years ago with um, a group of pastors at a denominational thing. And I don't know what the actual statistics are. This is not statistically valid. But I was in a conversational group with six, uh, six, five others, six pastors total. And every one of us revealed our secret was on Sunday afternoon we'd go take a nap. 
because you know we, we only work one day a week, but it just kills us. So, so every one of us go home because our sermons must be putting us to sleep. And I am encouraged here. I'm encouraged from this because I see Jesus has been preaching all day long. And what does he do? He falls asleep too. He tells his disciples, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. Now Jesus was a carpenter turned rabbi. So maybe he wasn't as worried about uh, uh, the reality of what's going on in the sea. But these experienced fishermen were getting pretty rattled. They're getting anxious. They're saying, you know, uh, this is not that big of a boat. We've we've recovered some boats from that era. They're about 25 feet long. They're open boats like a gigantic big canoe or something. Um, about seven feet across, 25 feet long, about four feet deep. So you put 12 disciples in there, and it's pretty full. And they're 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 you know bailing water or whatever, worried about this this squall that they find themselves in. And they look back and they they see Jesus and they see what makes him such an inspiration to us all. Jesus is asleep on the cushion at the stern of the boat. Jesus is asleep right there. And so they say what anybody normal would say. They wake up Jesus. Wake up, wake up. Don't you care? Don't you care? We're dying here. Don't you care? You know, I I wonder how many times a day does God hear that prayer? Just stop and think. Seven billion people on earth. How many times a day does Jesus hear, don't you care that we're dying here? Well, he heard it that day. And luckily he had had a nap. Because you don't want to get Jesus cranky, okay? Because what Jesus does is he calms the sea. If he had been cranky, he could have had a a rogue wave come up and wash the disciples out, and then another one wash them back in the boat. That that fixed their wagon. They'd they'd chill out with that. So Jesus doesn't do that because he's had a nice rest. Jesus uh, speaks to the, the, the storm. He rebukes the wind, and he says to the sea, Peace, be still. And then the wind ceased, and there's a dead calm. And so now with the storm taken care of, he takes care of the disciples. He says, what is it with you? You still have no faith. Have you still no faith? And, and that's, really, that's really what it boils down to, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's our problem. Uh, we believe deep down in our hearts that the world revolves around us. And the things we have to do, the, the, the commitments we've made, the, the actions we'd like to take, the the vacation, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, that's the most important thing in the world. And if we don't do it, then it'll never get done because ultimately the world revolves around us. And the truth we see in Scripture is that the one person who's ever lived who could say the world revolves around him knew better. Jesus knew that he should take a nap. And see, I'm not Jesus. The world does not revolve around me, and neither are you. The world doesn't revolve around you. And if Jesus could take a nap, so can you. So take a nap. How much, how much sleep do you need? I don't know. Um, uh, more statistics for you. Uh, uh, we don't know. One of the reasons we don't know is because of that light bulb that, that Mr. Edison gave us. A um, hundred years ago, the average person got two and a half hours more sleep every night than the average person today. So that's a good indicator. We don't know, but that's a good indicator that we're probably about two and a half hours short of what we should have. Um, I read a statistic, 15% of teens receive eight and a half hours of sleep a night, which is what they're recommended to have. And I thought, I don't believe even 15% 
get that much sleep. Certainly my two teens don't. Um, so um, how much sleep should people get? Uh, we don't know. We don't know. Mammals are all over the map. At one end, there's the sloth who, who gives a name to sleeping a lot. The two-toed sloth is the champion. It sleeps 20 hours a day. At the other end, you have things like dolphins. They've got this cool brain. They can sleep one half of it at a time. So the right half sleeps, and then the left half sleeps. And that makes sense because they're underwater. You know, you wouldn't want to fall asleep while you're underwater. So so they don't, or, or only half, half at a time. So in, in some sense, I mean, maybe they're sleeping all the time. Maybe they're sleeping zero. I don't know, but... but uh, at one end, there's animals that don't sleep at all. At other animal, at the other end, there's there's animals that sleep all the time. We're somewhere in the middle. So, how do you know how much sleep you need? What what a sleep researcher says is do this: sleep for two weeks, go to bed at roughly the same time. You're trying to establish a rhythm, okay? Go to bed at the same time, sleep until you wake up, and then don't doze, okay? Once you actually are awake, then go ahead, get up, and do the same thing the next day, and do that for two weeks. And they say, then you can throw out the first two days because they're probably no good, right? Because you're still learning. But figure that out. And you figure out, I can get by on six hours a night. Great. Maybe you already do. But now you'll have permission, okay? But more likely, you'll find out you need eight and a half hours of sleep like your ancestors did, okay? In which case, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Jesus didn't deny the reality of his physical being, okay? Are you so spiritual that you have less concern about your physical body than Jesus, who is the most spiritual person who's ever lived? What are you going to do if you find out that you're running a two-and-a-half-hour sleep deficit? Well, I have one, one thought for you. Lent is coming up. Give up sleep deprivation for Lent. It may be the hardest thing you've ever given up. But it will be the most enjoyable because God gives sleep to those whom he loves. Sleep, like every other thing that God invented, is a good thing and you will enjoy it. So give up sleep deprivation for Lent. Jesus slept. Jesus slept. And if Jesus can sleep, so can you. Thanks be to God.